This is the Pathways Podcast. This podcast exists to help you find completeness in Jesus. Hi, this is Scott Ensminger, one of the co-hosts of the Pathways Podcast, and you're hearing the Pathways Podcast on a different podcast of ours here at Christ Church because we just wanted you to hear some of the stories that we have been having conversations with for people for the past few months now on the Pathways Podcast uh, that celebrate the 70 years of Christ Church. There's everything from former pastors on it uh, to some of our church families to uh, some of our elders here at Christ Church, but just wanted to give you... Uh, an opportunity to be able to hear these stories and just see what God has done uh, through the last 70 years at Christ Church for a go. I want to thank you for listening to the Pathways Podcast. This podcast exists to help you find completeness in Jesus. My name is Scott Ensminger, one of the ministers on staff at Christ Church of Orinogo. And this is one of the podcasts where we have people share their stories. But for the past couple of months now, we have had people come in and talk about the history of Christ Church. And with me today is someone I've been excited about us doing this podcast for a while now is Kent Williams. Kent Williams was the senior minister here from June of 1988 to, to March of 1997. And a lot of uh, things that we experience today at Christchurch still is because of what God did through Kent and his time here at Christchurch. So, Kent, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Scott. Uh, man, it's surreal, honestly, walking around these halls and uh, seeing what was and what is now. And it, it brings back a lot of memories, and it's honestly a real a time of healing and uh, good to reflect on that season. Of well, life. we are glad that you're here. So I would love just as we get started, what is your earliest memory of Christ Church? Because I think it's different from one of you and I thought it was of, of you being here. So what's your first memory or earliest memory of Christ Church for Odogo? Well, uh, my mom is 90 and she and my dad actually cleaned the building for a while, worked with the seniors. I don't know if anyone knows that. But wow. Mom uh, was talking to her the other day, told her what I was going to do. And she, I said, Mom, did Dad ever preach at Christ Church? She said, well, he filled in back when it met at the Rustic Inn. And I think she got her facts right. Mom's pretty sharp. It was a, a little house that they had a restaurant in. And she said, you would have just been a toddler. That explained why people like Don Witherspoon said he remembered me crawling around under the communion table. Hmm. So I don't remember that, but my I, I, we've always known about the church, um, knew a lot of the people because I grew up in Web City. Okay. So my earliest memories would be clear back to childhood. Okay. And uh, always had a good reputation. I always had, you know, good people, good kind of, I would call this farm people, salt of the earth people. So that's my earliest memories. Did you attend out here like in your teens or anything like that? Or was it when the first time you kind of came back to preach, was that the first time you were really kind of part of the church? That was the first time I got, yes. Okay. I don't think I ever came out here that I remember as a teenager. Um, but uh, yeah, when I was called to preach here. Okay. Well, I'd love for you to take a moment just to talk about even that. How did, how did you get to Christ Church of Orinogo? Okay, it was 1988. I'd been out of Bible college eight years. Um, for six years, I was in Oklahoma. Two years, I was in um, Rosenberg, Texas, and uh, it was rough. It was a rough church. Had all the external trappings, but it was pretty dead. 
And I remember um, being on my knees in my bedroom praying, God, if you want me to finally, you know, you kind of surrender. I've had that many times in my my life where like, okay, I don't want to do this. And then finally you give in. And when I finally say that I will be done, that's when you turn a corner and God says, okay, now we, now we got something to work with. So I'm on my knees praying, God, how am I going to do this? This is going to be either a very short ministry, very long ministry, but if you, if you want me here, thy will be done. And Scott, the phone rang in my bedroom where I was praying. And on the other end was Dan McGrew. And Dan said, understand you're from this area. Ever thought about getting back here? Now, honestly, right out of Ozark in 1980, if somebody had said, hey, there's an opening at Christ Church of Ornogo, I would have said, nah, I want to go somewhere (laughs) a little more exotic than that. So I was in the Houston area. Dan called, and um, he— he said, would you send us some information? Back in that day, I think I had a cassette tape and my resume, and I didn't hear back. We, we, our, in our mind, our bags are packed. I mean, how much clearer could you be? God, right. the phone rings in the middle of your prayer. So our bags are packed. And I just kind of put it out of my mind then. Um, so the rest of the story they they actually called a guy that I went to college with named Scott Pixler. And Scott came. They voted on him. It was a positive, affirmative vote. He comes. He came. He's looking at houses. And he looked. I don't, it may have been Dan probably showing him around. He goes, I'm not supposed to be here. And... I mean, it's a little bit of a shock when you've already announced to the church and it, they were well into this. And so after that, I don't know the exact time frame, but Dan called back or I called him and said, hey, what happened? So that's kind of the short version. I wanted, my pride wanted to go, no, I'm good, you know, because I was like the jilted girlfriend. Right, right. But it all it all worked out. And, and no doubt from the beginning, since we have roots here, this is where we were supposed to be. Okay. So when you moved here, um, and there's been in the two prior podcasts, uh, one with Clifford Wirt and Dan McGrew and one with uh, Patty Bearden and Paula Stanley, they all talked about the old church building that has been torn down. Uh, Was that the only building that was kind of out here when you first got out here? Was that building that is no longer here? Is that the only one? (laughs) It, It. There may have been a storage building or something, but that was, yeah, that was it. Okay. And that building had been, it was a basement, then they built on top of that. And yeah, that was it. Okay. And those three guys, actually, there were four at that time, Clifford, Dan, uh, Don Witherspoon, and Charles Weaver were the four elders that that served when I was called here. Okay. So when you get here— um, when when did it start to grow? Like so, there's 125 people when you get here. I, for those listening, I I told uh, 
Kent, a moment ago that Alan Stanley gave me some numbers and said that in Kent's time here, the church grew by 625%. It's what God did here at that time. So the church went from 125 to 900. But when did it kind of, like, when did you feel the momentum start to change? Well, and there was a process, um, but, you know, Scott, in our life, we realize that God removes obstacles, and sometimes those obstacles are us. And I just remember in the in the interview process, uh, someone looked me in the eye, kind of pointed their finger at me, and said, "We do not like contemporary Christian music." Now, I didn't come here with an agenda. I kind of shrugged my shoulder, like, "Okay." Good to know. And at that time, um, you know, it was very traditional. When that corner got turned was God removed some obstacles. And we had a couple of guys, again, this is my memory, uh, Jimmy and Darren King. And they, so that being Jim Moss? Jim Moss. Okay. Came to me uh, before it broke loose and said, "Could we start a rock and quote unquote rock and pray service?" Invited some of their college friends, and I said, "I'm sure. I don't know why not." It was pre-church, pre-service. If they wanted to do that, I didn't see a problem with it. Well, and was it just one church service back then? Yeah. Okay. Just one. Yep. And then, uh, then we had some changes. We had a, basically a vacancy in the. Uh, in the music, in the worship. And I said, what if these young guys did it? I, mean, I don't really remember the discussion, but then all of a sudden they kind of stepped up and the youth guy at the time, Greg Corona, stepped up. And Scott, then, back then, uh, we were, that was just 19, maybe 90. We were the only church in Joplin that I know of that was doing any contemporary, quote unquote, contemporary Christian music. Now, looking back now, what that would not have been called contemporary for our standards, but it was. I mean, it right. was pretty, it was a pretty stark change. And uh, that was, the, that was what all of a sudden people started coming because it was different. Okay. And uh, that was, I think, when the, the, the whole thing really began. Okay, so when the momentum kind of started was 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 a little bit of that was was part of that was part of the of it uh, getting started kind of changing the way probably the entire church building I would say we even felt. Sure, you know, but I I would say back then it was accurate to say people were coming here because of the music. Wow. Okay. And I mean, uh, there were a lot of other reasons. But it was the only thing going that people wanted something that wasn't hymnals and organ music. Okay. Uh, of course, we got accused back then. Of, it was kind of funny. I remember one of the rumors going around because we were growing rapidly. And, you know, people being people, there was a competitive spirit. And so there were some rumors going around that we, our, all our guys had long hair and wore earrings. Well, I mean, I look around, a lot of them were bald, you know, <laughs> but it was an anomaly. It was especially—let me back up. This would never have happened if the people who were a core part of this group 
did not have the spiritual depth and maturity to accept those changes. Hmm. I remember <laughs> Leela Witherspoon. She's going down the sidewalk. I think she was either using a cane or a walker. And one of the kids, it might have been Bryce Hansen, goes by on his skateboard and almost knocks her over. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. But I just remember going, are you okay? And she just smiled real big. They endured. They embraced. There was uh, this church has always had. Well, I would just call it a sweet spirit. Mm. Uh, the core people, uh, as you've mentioned, some of them, those original families were good, sweet, mature people who didn't have to have it their way. Mm. And I and I thank God for that. You know, absolutely, because they could have said. No. Yeah. I mean, they just could have put the brakes on. But. Yeah. That was the thing that was impressive to me. I've been on staff now for 20 years, and that was the thing that I noticed pretty quickly of coming here. Even my father-in-law noticed that was, is that the senior adults here embraced all of the things that most churches don't do. Yeah. You know, and he's like, that's special. You know, that's not very many places that does it that way. But they're people. They're Absolute. people of the word. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, these these are people who studied the word and and are willing to to go with God wherever He leads. And they so they I'm, I know that a lot of them didn't like it, but they liked what was happening. And a lot of the new the early growth was absolutely one hundred percent college students, Ozark students. Then we started getting a few Missouri Southern students. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Then we started getting some Pitt State students. Like, that's awesome. And then just people from the community came and fed off that energy. But seeing that older group mixing with the college group and and those older people loved it. Yeah. Like, look at this. Look what God is doing, a new thing. So I remember a lot of energy and Scott, all I can tell you is I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I was 30 when I came here, and we just trusted God, made a lot of mistakes, I'm sure, didn't do things by the book because we didn't know what the book said. Right. We just hung on for dear life, and people came because God was in it. Mm. That is the bottom line. Um you know, early on there was discussion, well, are people coming for the music? Are they coming from the for the preaching? <laughs> coming for God. Mm -hmm. And if it's not about that, you missed it. Mm -hmm. They came because God was here in the hearts of the people and they felt it. Mm -hmm. So when as the growth started happening and uh we just you and I just walked through uh, which would have been the second worship center, I guess, or or somewhere in there. When those conversations happen, you probably, because of so many like young adults coming here and it always being a small congregation, you probably weren't loaded with money to oh, how no. to do these things. So how, like, how did y'all even do the building? You know, I've heard Dan talk about that some and Clifford talk about that, and but... I mean, as the senior minister of the church, and you're 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 seeing the problem. I'm I'm guessing, and then you're going, how are we to expand this thing? Yeah, in that original worship center that you described, it's torn down now. 
which tells me I'm really old. (laughs) (laughs) You have the old timers. Uh, I mean, it was was, um, that building that is currently housing your offices. We made it up as we went, you might say. I think Dan drew it on a napkin. I remember many, many nights and weekends being out there helping set up walls. I like being hands-on. I prefer it's real therapy. Uh, as I mentioned to you, one of those trusses up there has my name written on it mm. because it was here one night. I was like, I'm going to write, you know, no one will forget me. My name's on a <laughs> truss. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't think we paid for it as we went, but we did not have money in those early years. It was uh, like, I don't know how God, only God. I think that Ornogo is an only God story. Mm. But being out there was, um, I mean, it was cool because we got to work together, know each other. My dad and a guy named Wendell Mullins uh, did a lot of work. That was their job. Dad retired. He came out every day. And mom would say, what are you doing today? He goes, I have no idea. They'll come tell me. So really— created it as we went. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I personally have a lot of good memories. That was yeah. fun, fun times. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, Clifford Work talked about uh, when we were uh, interviewing he and Dan, he talked about walking in and seeing the nursery and going, look how big this nursery is. <laughs> and then when the church started, he's like, it's not big enough. Uh, would love for you to even talk about your first memories of just remember this building being open, that building being opened up, and just the th- the changes y'all had to make pretty quickly just oh, because of that. Man, it was amazing. We walked in; this thing is huge and it's beautiful. And I mean, you know, I can't remember. I think we had pews in there, but yep. walking into that and thinking, "Well, this this is going to last us a long time," and within months, maybe less. As I mentioned, I'm, I'm walking out uh, of uh, first—we did go to two services and walked out of the first service, and the foyer is packed. I mean, packed. And Kevin Greer is in there sardine-like, you know, standing like a—and he goes, you got to do something about this. I mean, you felt like claustrophobic. But that—I I, honestly, at that point, never envisioned— I thought it might take 10 years to outgrow that. Well, I, I don't think it took long at all. And uh, you all are still dealing with that. Yes. Only God. Yep. Only God. Makes no sense. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, good memories. Of- yeah. So, love to talk about just about, like, with even leadership of dealing with a growing church. Well, what are just some things that God taught you during that time? Well, I want to tell a couple of stories maybe related to it. Uh, I had no idea how to run a multiple staff. My heart and my passion still is. I love to preach, and I love to pastor, uh, but I don't consider myself like a real gifted leader. Mm. But in those early years, just seeing— the people God was bringing that didn't fit the mold of some of the more traditional churches. 
And I, and I give you a couple of for instances. We have Max Basie. Yep. Amen, Max. Yep. And a good brother. And we have Charlie Bentledge sitting like side by side. <laughs> You're looking at going, Charlie's a surgeon. Most people probably know that. So we had a sign maker and a surgeon who become good friends. Okay. Then I look maybe the next row and I see Clifford Wirt, the banker, and Frank Owsley. Yes. Whoever I know is this crazy, crazy Frank. Frank. Yep. The biker. Yep. And uh, Frank actually, when he came to the Lord, came to know the Lord, he gave me his um, bulletproof vest. And he gave me this, he gave me several things that were contraband, okay? <laughs> but these people are all in this together. Well, how do you, I mean, how do you lead this group? You know, you love them. And those early years, I mean, I have some really comical stories. I'm pretty sure it was Max, uh, the young guys on staff who grew up in the suburbs came in one day. They'd been playing in a brush pile we were burning. And I'm like, you all smell like smoke. They had suit all over them. Like, yeah, there's this big fire out there. I said, yeah, we're burning brush. Have you never done that? No. They were just <laughs> entranced by this thing. But then one of them come in, came in and said, there's a lion or something, cougar or something, in our refrigerator or our freezer. And I was like, what? There, and so they took me down, opened it up, and sure enough, there was a bobcat in our freezer. And I started asking around. Max goes, oh, yeah, I hit that game. The game preserves it. Put it in the freezer. And uh, we'll, we'll, I don't know if they came and got it, but, yeah, it was right there <laughs> in the church freezer. Again, it's just a, it's always been a, different environment to lead, yeah. unlike anything, any place else I have ever lived, any other church I have ever served, Christ Church stands alone, and it's uh, eh. leading it, um, again, because I didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah. In my mind, I'm the, I'm the preacher, that's kind of what I was taught at Ozark, and feel your way along. So... Multiple staff was all new. I made a lot of mistakes, Scott. I'm looking back now. And, and it's not hard for me to say this because it's the truth. I was not a good leader. Hmm. I did not look back now, and I'm still growing. But I would not say, you know, I, I have a lot of areas that I wish I had done better. And uh, sort of like as a parent, you look back hmm. and go, wow, I made a lot of mistakes I made a lot of mistakes here, but the people were always gracious. They were always forgiving, always kind. I've been in ministry for 30 years now, and I look back at some of the things I did at the, you know, early on in ministry, and I just kind of shake my head and go, like, I don't know what I was thinking at that time, or, but still somehow God used it, I guess. But something growing that fast, people trying to, you know, people coming to the Lord, did you always just feel like there was just a little bit of like, just a little bit of like tension or stress? Cause you're trying, cause you're trying, I mean, you're, you're having someone like crazy Frank come to the Lord. And then you have someone like a Clifford Wirt there. That's very 
grounded in his faith? Was that a challenge of trying to work with so many new believers and seasoned people? Like how was how did that go? Well, Frank was again was a unique guy, but he, he really had a hungry hunger for the Lord. Frank, um, he had a, he had false teeth. Did you know Frank? Yes, I did know Mr. Frank. He had a, he had a diamond uh, at one time okay. in his front teeth. He, he did not have that, whatever I okay. gave him. And he worked in the nursery here when he first came to the Lord. <laughs> Parents would be, I would get Frank with his long beard and his ponytail. they like, is this okay? And I just have to go, he's good. But he used to take his teeth and take them in and out, you know, Yep. And to entertain the kids in the nursery. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that won't surprise you at all. I think the common, I really do think the common denominator, because, yeah, you you wonder, this is not just about getting to see how many people we can get in a building. Right. How do you disciple these people? And I think, or no, like any church— is like a big family, and the older ones have to help take care of the younger ones. You can't put it all on the pastor's shoulders or the elder's shoulders. You have to personally say, hey, I'll come alongside my brother, my sister. You know, that's what I saw in some of these relationships that developed people who who were mature, would kind of come alongside in a very organic way. I never planned it, but they would come alongside them and walk with them and encourage them. So, I mean, I think a lot of what happened has happened here over the years. In the years I was here, it was a whole lot more, to me, like Jesus would do it. It's not about having programs. It was just the right people with the right hearts. Mm -hmm. And that always really encouraged me to know it's not all on my shoulders. Right. You know, God's people will take care of these new ones. And uh, I can think of several stories where I knew there was relationships developing and and we're going to—they will be discipled. But it won't be a program. It's just going to happen. Yeah, I've always heard, and one of the things I always appreciate about Christ Church was is that um, the opportunity for the children and for the youth to learn about Jesus was very much entrenched, kind of in in the people in the DNA of the church here. Um, so even when I got here years ago, they didn't have a lot of adult education space because they said every time they got it they would have to give it back up for the kids for the kids. And, um, so when you saw that, that challenge continue to happen and you're talking to, uh, you, I, I guess that's what you, I mean, you needed the people to basically help you or just help a church grow, like come alongside people because you were having to give up so much space for the children and for the youth here. I mean, that's just uncommon in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. That's got to be hard to do, though. But, you know, do you remember even trying to, like, how to balance all of that, with, you know, with trying to figure out space for kids, for children? 
There's a, uh, I don't remember where I heard this, but, you know, they said when you, we shape our buildings and then our buildings shape us. Mm. And in my experience with Ornogo, we never let the building shape us. We got creative. Um, trying to remember in some of those early years, um, if you needed, if you want to study the Bible, you'd find a place to study the Bible or this home or, or, uh, we had a group of guys we used to always go for, I think it was Taco Tuesdays or something. Mm -hmm. And inevitably it wasn't a Bible study, but the Bible was a big part of that. Yeah. So I guess again, uh, I'm not a, I'm not a big program person and, uh, I'm more, and I understand as a church is this size, I get that. How do we ensure that people are growing? I, I really get that, Scott. And I was at a large church in Washington, D.C. area, and I thought that that burdened me constantly because I knew they were showing up for Sunday, but how how do we make sure? So I think... I think just always working to make sure the building doesn't shape us. Mm. Never shape Jesus. Mm. I mean, to th to be able to think outside the box, to do what we got, we have to do, or to get creative. This is this is just a, a space. Yeah, you know, it's not the church. We all know that. So one of the things that. And I think this is a comp. I would this would be a compliment for any minister is is that over and over again, I've heard people talk about um, your ability to preach the gospel, how they loved hearing you preach, just the way that God used you. If, looking back on those days, you say you're 30 years old when you first get here. Did you come up with sermon series, or did you just where God was leading you? You preached. Each week, do you remember any, any of those kind of things of of how you did, how you decide what you're going to preach week to week back then? Boy, you're stretching my memory a little bit. Well, and let me back up a little bit. Having grown up in church, and um, I felt called to ministry. I won't get into the whole thing, but I argued with God. Or like, uh, uh, I was I was going to go into the Marines or. I had scholarship to play football at, at Pitt State, Missouri Southern. I had other things. Finally went to Ozark by default, kind of just like, I don't want, the, neither one of those things felt right. But I had this conversation, very strong conversation with God hmm. when he's like, I'm calling you. And I said, I don't even like church. I didn't. <laughs> and he's like, that leads to the next question. Tell me why you don't like my church. Because it's boring. I mean, Sunday was not the highlight of my week as an 18-year-old kid. And he, as clearly as God speaks to me, said, do something about it. And so, Scott, I think my whole life I've lived with the sanctified terror of making God's living word boring or irrelevant. Mm. Whether you preach it through a book, right now at the church I'm at, we're doing Route 66. We're doing all 66 books of the Bible. The branding helps drive home. Right. The, you know, it, it, 
So we do that. But back then, no. I, I would say back then, I don't remember doing any sermon series. I remember preaching my heart out. Got off the platform more than once, drenched in sweat. And it was just like, I just knew, you know, eternity hangs in the balance for a lot of folks, for all of us. So, yeah, no, it was, I don't really remember any props. I don't remember any uh, branding. I don't remember any series. Um, I, I, I probably have those sermons somewhere, mm. but uh, they may have even been handwritten because this was all before computers. Right. So, did you uh, did the most services on a Sunday here? Did it ever go to three while you were here, or did it stay at two? I'm trying to remember. I think two was what we were at when I left. So, do you remember having to like? Because you talk about being drenched with sweat. Like you had to pace yourself. You had two. You had two of those to do on a Sunday. Did it take a little while to learn how to do that? Oh yeah. And if you've ever done multiple services, you're going, did I just say this? Yep. <laughs> because it, you know, I've done probably the most I've ever done is five in a weekend of the same sermon. And you better really watch your notes. But anyway, um, yeah, I remember a lot of Sundays exhilarated. In you know, maybe there may be some pastors who don't feel this way, but I know in my early years, my mood rose and fell with the Sunday morning attendance. Mm. And gosh, there's, I, you just couldn't help but say, what's wrong with me if the attendance was down? So I, I know those early years energized me a lot. Yeah. You're seeing people standing room only and, I'm really thankful that through all of this and through my life, God has reminded me it's not about you. It's not about you. When I was thinking of leaving here, uh, Dave Duncan, I don't know if you know Dave, yep. but I had some heart-to-hearts with Dave, and it's like, Dave, I don't know, this church in Oregon is calling it. It sounds like this is amazing opportunity and we're talking, you know, an adventure and all this stuff. What do you think I ought to do? I, I really thought Dave might say, well, Ken, man, look how things are going great here. Why would you leave? Why would you? And <laughs> again, I don't know how well you know Dave. Dave just looked at me and said, uh, well, Ken, take a bucket, fill it with water, Put your hand in it, pull it out, and see what how much of a void you'd leave. Hmm. <laughs> I was like, wow. Oh, thanks, Dave. And thanks, Dave, for reminding me. I see that's been many years ago. That that probably 97. And I still remember those words. God can do what God can do with whoever he wants, whenever he wants. It's not about me. And uh, so, yeah, forget the exact question, but... Um, well, well, I would, I guess to piggyback, we were just talking about, you know, what it would be like to preach multiple sermons and kind of how to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, time 
trying to build a building, trying to uh, work with a congregation and pastor them, trying to lead a, a young staff. And building a building sounds like it was basically built with church people. I think the only thing they actually paid for a little bit was, I think they tried to put trusses up themselves and they kept coming down or something. So they finally went ahead and paid for that part of it to be done. But everything else was pretty much done by the congregation. You mentioned on the phone that day of, you know, the heater, when the heater's kind of catching on fire, mm-hmm. coming, kind of coming back up here, whatever. It had to be physically exhausting to try to do all of those things um, and balance staff, family, everything, and be in your 30s. Like that had to be a challenge. Um, do you look back on that and wonder how you even did all that? You know, I think when you're young, you're, you're so resilient. And you, you know, I look back now and, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so I, I may have, I mean, those were actually pretty good times. But I know my own sons have said, Dad, you didn't seem to have time for us as the churches you serve got bigger. And that, and that stings because of everything I want to be and still want to be. I'm a family guy. And, um, yeah, there's sacrifices you make. Um, I wouldn't say Ornogo was a sacrifice. This was still home. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of connections here. But there's been a lot. There, there was a lot at that time. No question that really stretched me and uh, grew my faith. When you're young... And you know this, Scott. Uh, this isn't a job. If you go into ministry because you want a job, you you won't last. Right. It's a lifestyle. Right. And uh, so, yeah, those early those early years, I was probably spread pretty thin. But looking back now, I didn't know it. Right. Um, I thought it was I thought it was normal. And growing up in a family and 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 serving a church that had a very strong work ethic. I certainly never would have complained about it because a lot of people were in the same boat. Yeah. Just busy, really. Worked hard. Yep. My dad was happiest when he was working, and and I am too. I still am. Um, Working with volunteers to build a building, how how did you navigate that? I mean— what was that like? I mean, because I, uh, I just look, I walk around here, and, uh, you know, I'm full disclosure, and I've never really said this out loud a lot. When I first got here to Christchurch, there were some things about the facilities that I found frustrating. And then within a few months of being here, I heard that the majority of one of the buildings that I'm frustrated with was built by 100% volunteers. And I was like, first of all, I'm glad I'd never said anything to anybody about being frustrated with this building. But second of all, I will never be frustrated with this building because it was built by volunteers. I don't know any other place that has a building that they can say was built by all volunteers. So how did you handle, I mean, how did you, how did you handle that? I, you know, again, I think only God. Okay. I mean, you look back, I, I remember Dan drawing something up on a napkin, and we, we'd we seen other buildings that were pretty nice, <laughs> and we didn't come close to those on a shoestring. Mm. 
But I, I guess, Scott, too, like a lot of people here, I grew up, my dad always said, poor people have poor ways. And, uh, you know, you, you, do, you do the best. I grew up in a home that was being heat built, remodeled, added on to. So to me, it was just, that's how you do things. The idea of hiring a contractor. And I remember we had one come and talk to us. And I think he was with Goodman Church Builders. And everything he said made sense. And then we looked at price and said, well, we can do it cheaper than that. And so we did it cheaper than that. Um, I remember pouring this stem wall, the, the basement walls over there. Yes. And uh, I mean, I'm just grateful that it's still there. You <laughs> told me about a couple of things that might have. Here's the anomaly. I remember the fire guy, fire department, the fire chief of, I think it was Ornogo, came by here one day. He may have attended. I don't know. He just said, you all are our worst nightmare. I was like, why? He goes, we have no idea how we'd put this out. It's the <laughs> biggest structure in this area. In our, our fire district, I was like, I mean, I don't know if you've talked to them now, but they've got to just be OMG. We need our own fire department for this building. We, we've, uh, we've had some discussions with them, yes. We had yeah. a fire here years ago uh, at the end of one, a third hour. And, Seriously? Uh, yes, it happened behind the children's ministry stage. Well, in the and building we built. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> oh. But uh, it was multiple fire departments that were here. Okay. Uh, to get that, to get that done, to get that taken out, you know. Well, you can imagine when I, I went from here to Oregon. Oregon is very unfriendly to churches. I mean, you could not plant a tree without going through red tape. And when I went out there, I said, yeah, church, I just came from. This is weird. I don't understand this. All this bureaucracy and stuff you got to do to do anything. And I'm like, well, where'd you come from? I said, there was no zoning. Yeah. What? I had no building inspector. How'd that work? We just built it. <laughs> and, I mean, we had we had some pretty good hands-on skilled people. Yep. And they just, again— they put their heart into it. What yep. is it? it? says in Nehemiah that they did this thing in, what was it, 52 days because the people had a heart or mind to work. This is a working church, okay? I, I don't ever remember struggling to get volunteers uh, at that time. And I know culture has changed. You could find anybody out well, Half half a dozen guys knew how to do drywall, knew how to do this or that. If they didn't, they'd figure it out. So, yeah, I mean, the struggles back then to, to build the building were, I don't remember it. I remember it being enjoyable. I remember being like, this is fun, watching yeah. it come up and yeah. people getting excited yeah. and money being given. So it was actually a, a real beautiful time to me. Just love for you even to talk about, you've mentioned Crazy Frank, but just some, when you look back at your time here at Christ Church, just some, the names and maybe some stories why some, just certain people come back to your mind. Oh, wow. I guess one of the, just a real sweet memory 
of so many of the people. Um, I remember going down to the river and seeing Charlie Bentledge baptized. Mm. And um, how, how real, how real faith became for people. Um, it was interesting because when I was here, even though I was here nine years, having grown up here, I knew the people. So it was more like I had been a pastor here for 30 years. And so I had a lot of weddings, a lot of funerals. And I had a lot of people that I knew who started coming here because of that connection. Um, the ones that, that do stick out, I, just think, I think the core, those core families that I've mentioned, like the Witherspoons and the Weavers, and of course Dan and Charlotte were not a part of the original group, but the right. Mosses. Right. All these were, again, real solid families, loving families. Um, I still have a real warm spot in my heart for, for all of them. And um, uh, Don uh, Witherspoon was always just, to me, um, he didn't talk a lot, but when he spoke— you know, he was kind of like E.F. Hutton. He talked real slow. And um, <laughs> I'll tell you a funny Don story. Uh, he never drove to church and was always driving. Finally, I said one day, I said, Don, it's just a little unusual. I mean, it's your business, but why does Ann, I know you drive your truck to the elders meet, but why does Ann drive every Sunday? And he said, well, a few years ago, she kept backseat driving me. And I said, you know, if you say one more thing, you're going to drive from now on. And sure enough, that day came. <laughs> so he, he refused to ride with her. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you one more funny one. Uh, this is Gene and Cheryl Thompson. Do you know Gene and Cheryl? Yeah. Big Gene. Gene and Cheryl. Cheryl's really small and big old Gene. Gene was actually a student for my dad in his welding class. Huh. So, again, I don't, I don't know if they came before or after I came, but the connections were all there. They're like family. Yeah. Uh, and I did uh, his son Troy's wedding and Troy's son recently. I did his wedding. Wow. So those connections go away. Anyway, one day— uh, <laughs> Gene is giving Cheryl the what for on the way home from church. Just like, I don't know, Gene once he got started on something, and she said, stop the car. And he's like, what? Stop now. She gets out and starts walking. Oh. And he's like, Cheryl, come on, get back in the car. Well, church just let out. <laughs> so all these church people are driving by like, everything okay? Yeah, we're fine. We got this. But yeah, I just think, oh man, these are these are precious people to me. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. they just we go way back. Yeah, and uh, so in a lot of ways, they're more like family. Yeah, yes. Um, just for um, as we kind of start coming to the end of this, uh, you do 
decide that God's calling you somewhere else. Um, did you feel a burden that it would all stop when you left? Or, I mean, Dave kind of already kind of put, yeah. I mean, he kind of put things in perspective, you know, in that conversation with you there. But, you know, do you just feel like this urge, like God saying, okay, your time here is done? Would, um, no, I mean, this is where it's really nice and years, your, your statute limitations are. Now I remember hearing, you know, things that, that were going on and you want to think you're far enough along to go to rejoice in that. But yeah, there's, there was a part of me that, you know, I had my feelings hurt a little bit, okay. but that was then. I'm so thrilled now. And I, I think, I think Scott, the biggest, you know, Romans eight twenty eight is my favorite verse. It's it's my it's my life verse, and Paul says we we know that in all these things, God is working for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purposes. There were a few times I I wondered did I make a mistake leaving Ornogo? And sometimes we leave for all the wrong reasons. Right. Sometimes we go someplace for all the wrong reasons. And I, and I look back on that now and say, no, that wasn't a mistake. Imagine for a moment right now, if I had stayed, if I had been the pastor since 1988, and I still was, who do you think this church would be about then? It'd be about me. Look what Kent has done. And... That would not bring glory to God. I look back over my life and I see times where I was the obstacle. Or at least I began to think I was essential to what God was doing. I served a large church in Washington, D.C., church of about 3,000. I mean, Congressman Joe Gibbs the Redskin coach came. It was, it was, I'd finally arrived. That came after a season. I had got fired from a church in Oklahoma and a serious period of brokenness. And again, on my face, thy will be done. And he, he opened the door there. Then I went through uh, the most painful thing in my life. My, Wife, who was my wife when I served here, said she didn't want to be married to me anymore, didn't love me. And there was a lot of contributors. But when I went through that divorce, I obviously had to step down from that church in Washington, D.C. And I came home. I was 55 years old, living with my parents. Talk about getting humbled. I drove my uncle's old car I didn't realize till later, I, I, I didn't notice, but he had a, a hat in the back that said, it's not a bald spot, it's a solar panel for a sex machine. And I, I quickly took that down and did. But uh, I was out of ministry for about two years. And um, again, I came to a thy will be done moment. And my current wife tapped me on the shoulder at Fairview Christian Church. And I needed to tell her when I first met her that I used to be somebody. You know, I wasn't always a 
substitute teacher, which is what I was doing at the time, living with my parents. I wasn't a loser. I, I used to be somebody. And so I tried to tell her, you know, and she is the sweetest person who's ever been in my life. But she looked at me and she said, you know, I've never really been impressed by name droppers. And it sounds to me like God is humbling you. Hmm. Now, Scott, at that time, emotionally, I was curled up in the fetal position laying on the ground and she just kicked me. She didn't intentionally kick me. But I needed that yeah, because I needed to be reminded once again, it's not about you. His power is made perfect in our weakness. God's permanent address is the end of ourselves. When we come to the end of us, God is like, finally, you know who this is really about. Now watch what I can do. So I'm thankful for those times of desperation. I wouldn't go back through some of them for all the money in the world, but I wouldn't trade them for anything either. So I think looking back, I am grateful, truly grateful for the nine years God had me here, but I can. And I say this with utmost honesty, can take absolutely zero credit for what he did here. None. It's all about him. And uh, any time I start thinking, look what you've done, God says, okay, you got to go back. And learn this lesson again. It's not about you. I can do whatever I want through whomever I want, whenever I want. Don't ever think you're in my place. I, I appreciate and just your honesty. Um, and just even for those listening, just to hear the journey that God's taken you on and because I think that at times, sometimes we don't hear people will talk about those low spots in their life and what God taught them in those moments. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, as we begin to wrap this up, would love for you just for a second, for those listening to this that come out to Christ Church and a part of this church, what would be your charge for them as, as we celebrate 70 years this year of this church being out here on, I think it was on the deed, unusable land. Mm. Um, what is your charge for them as we prepare for the next 70 years of what God can do out here? Well, I, I think it's, um, it's just really important to remember one of the hardest things to, to survive is our success. And I think to continue to say, hey, <laughs> We didn't do this. I, 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 only God. I'm a part of something bigger than me. I'm humbled to be a part of something bigger than me. Mm. But the same thing that God blessed and honored in the past is the same thing he'll bless and honor in the future. Mm. It's not about me. It's not about you. You could take any of us out of this equation. It's about God. And 
never forget that. Mm. I think it's really easy. Instead of being grateful, <laughs> I, I've become at times prideful. And uh, he'll remind you that he will not share the glory. It's all him. And it's all his. Ken, I can't thank you enough again for, for being a part of this uh, podcast and just as we reflect on what God's done out here. And I love your statement. And I just wrote it down that only, uh, you know, it's, it's only God is the reason why this story is out here. So I just thank you so much for um, the sacrifices that you've made for the kingdom, um, the investment that you've made. Uh, and a lot of us, the reason why some of us are here today is because of the foundation that God helped, you know, through you and just grateful for that. And for those listening to this podcast, if you know somebody else that could be encouraged by this, uh, let them know that they can find this podcast by uh, by searching Christ Church of Ordogo, wherever they get their podcast, or just share it with them and, and send that to them. But thank you so much for listening today. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.